looking. Deep pattern downfield. Touchdown, Miami. What a throw, Devontae Parker. Holy smokes, what a drive. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? It is Friday. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, the fourth installment of the offseason preview, we're going to finish up with the unit that helped drive the scheme of one of the NFL's best defenses, the defensive backs. We'll talk the incumbents and explore the free agent market and draft class. We'll stop by the specialist room as well. And finally, we'll cover the latest news and what the Kyle Van Noy release could mean for this football team. All of that and more on this Friday, March the 5th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. So the news was first reported on Tuesday by Cameron Wolf of ESPN. It was then picked up by Mike Garofolo and then Rap Sheet, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, that Kyle Van Noy had been released from the Dolphins or the discussion about his potential release was coming and the move was imminent. And then KVN himself released a statement through Garofolo, which serves as a pretty good source of confirmation. So in light of this, first... The reported cap hit would be just over $4 million. There was an out in his contract after next season for a cap hit just over $2 million. But in total, it's a $9 million cash savings, which when you hear the term cash, and cash is king in all in all walks of life, right? But especially when it comes to football salaries, that's money owed to the player. So the Dolphins pocket that $9 million and obviously are no longer beholden to the future money left on the deal that maintained that 11 to $13 million per year range through the 2023 season. So that's the business side of things, frees up some more flexibility, but also comes with the hit there of the $4 million on the cap hit. As far as the non-business, the on-the-field stuff, what Kyle Van Noy did, he was a very strong force defender off the outside edge, really gave you some good work in the running game, funneled things back to the inside of the football field. But we saw some other players kind of come up in that role this season and do a good job of that as well, like an Andrew Van Ginkle, for instance. We'll talk more about him here in just one second. But what Van Noy did was offer a lot of versatility in his position, in his work. We talked about him not being a linebacker or an edge defender, just a guy that did multiple things. He played plenty of on-ball work in his time in New England, off-ball work there as well. Was mostly an edge defender last year here in Miami, but he gives you a lot of flexibility on that defensive side of the football. And with Ryan Fitzpatrick pending free agent this year, he was set to be the oldest player on this Dolphins roster. So you kind of think about what might be able to happen with that extra $9 million of spending? Is there a potential plan waiting in the wings, whether it's going back to an edge defender? There's there's a very deep edge defending class in this free agency market as it sits right now. We talked about that in the podcast on Tuesday. There's plenty of players in this draft that look like good edge defenders, guys that have multiple multiple scheme backgrounds and versatility to get on the field in multiple ways the way that Kyle Van Noy did. Maybe it clears money for someone on the other side of the football, like a big-time free agent along the offensive line or at the receiver position. Whatever it might be, there is now more flexibility for spending that way. Maybe you use some of that money and extend some of the players from the 2018 draft class. A Jerome Baker, who's played very well here and is still in his early 20s. A player like Mike Gesicki, who's been ascending for the last couple of seasons as one of the NFL's top tight ends. Maybe you go out and take care of Emmanuel Ogba, who has one year left in his contract, 
after having a breakthrough campaign last year and showing steady progress as a run stopper and pass rusher in his career so far. Does Xavier Howard need to have his contract reworked? Does it go towards that? Plenty of different avenues this could shift towards. And it just kind of gives you one overarching theme here that, you know, we hear all these potential reports about players who could get cut, who could be moved on from, who could be linked to certain teams in free agency. But I think the main thing that this all tells us here is that no one really knows anything besides the people inside the building that make the calls and make the moves because this was a pretty big surprise by all accounts. And, you know, you put your trust here in Brian Flores and Chris Greer and the way this team builds their roster because they've earned that trust with the way they've reshaped this thing and put this defense together in the vision of Brian Flores. I mean, if and, and Josh Boyer as well. If you're going to question somebody who had the number one takeaway defense, number third down, number one third down defense and had the number one scoring uh, defense heading into week 17 last year, well, then I would question your take on that because these guys have proven they know exactly what they're doing. So with this move, I just can't wait to see what happens next and how this entire offseason plays out. I think this 2021 offseason is going to be one of the most exciting ones that we have had in quite some time. I mean, you've already had big name acquisitions and the new league year hasn't even began yet with the Matt Stafford trade, the Carson Wentz trade, J.J. Uh, Watt going to the Cardinals, all kinds of activity across the NFL. And the Dolphins now seem to be a part of that with the news that Kyle Van Noy will be released before the new league year begins. And one more part about this entire news bit and talking about the business side of it to kind of put a cap on that is the freedom and structure of the contract or the, the structure of the contract that gave the Dolphins the freedom to move on after one year and to just kind of bite the bullet on the cap and, and get themselves some relief that way. Uh, you know, the way of doing business to, to keep yourself flexible, to make moves year in and year out. That's an impressive stroke of, of work there from the Dolphins from the salary cap standpoint. So tip of the hat there as far as the ability to get out of a contract that the coaching staff thought they needed to. So the offseason is just getting started, and we talked a little bit there about Xavier Howard in that last bit, which is a good chance for us to segue into the defensive back preview here, the fourth and final part of our preview series. We're going to come back later on the podcast next week and talk about some more comprehensive plans and and, and what the offseason could bring that way. But let's go ahead and finish up here in the defensive back room, and we'll also talk about the specialist. And I was going to cover... Bruce Feldman's freaks list because I want to get into that at some point, but we're going to go ahead and bump that to a future podcast. And I was going to tie in the freaks list and kick this thing off with Byron Jones because, I mean, nobody really worked out better than he did in Indianapolis that year at the Combine back in 2015. He still holds the world record for the broad jump in that category. And of course, Byron now entering his second year as a Miami Dolphin. And by the way, still just 28 years old, despite what feels like a decade-long career at this point of top-line production for Byron Jones. And the first thing I want to mention with Byron is one of the coolest parts about this job and, and being around the team every day, you see the little details that just aren't available to the general public, to the eye of the casual onlooker. I mean, especially this year without camp open to the public. One of my favorite parts of training camp this past season and even into the season is when we're out there during the warmups for practice, you see Byron working on the ball skills. He's out there early on the jugs machine. He's working with Coach Burks, getting, you know, his his ball tracking and his ball place or uh, ball location when he tries to turn around and locate that thing in the air. He's working on all that stuff. He's always out there working on flipping his hips, getting into phase, locating the football and making a play accordingly. And you wouldn't know it, but he set a career high in interceptions this year, his first year with multiple interceptions. And a quick sidebar, another thing I loved about interacting with Byron this year, you know, was his transparency and levity about the whole interception topic because it came up time and time again. And, you know, not to get too far off the point here, but just one of the more 
fascinating people in the league, not just for his enlightening press conferences, but his desire for knowledge and commitment to serving his community. Again, I highly recommend going back to the feature pod we did back in December, where we talked about Byron's nomination for the Walter Payton Man of the Year, talked about some of his work in the community, and a whole bunch more. But back onto the football field, one of the one of the game's best press cover corners, and that's just a fact. Frankly, what Xavier Howard did this year is even more impressive when you consider that playing press man corner, and let's just go ahead and make this a point, that the defense isn't solely press man. They do a fantastic job of mixing coverages and looks, but by the letter of the law, the job that Byron and X do on the outside on those press man reps is to limit separation and make the quarterback think twice and have that hitch in his trigger, which then in turn gives the pass rush that extra half second to make one of those game-changing plays we saw throughout the course of the season. And that's the crux of the entire defense. And Jones's presence flat out was one of the main reasons it all clicked for this defense this season. And the box score doesn't always tell you that, but the results should. So it pertains to his physical ability, strong press, exceptional recovery speed. You're not going to win every rep, every matchup at the line against the releases of the world's best receivers in this league, but he's got smooth hips to change direction in a short area and the intelligence to adhere to all the responsibility of playing in a defense so multiple. Thought he was terrific in year one and will only get better in year number two. And my favorite quote of this season, this freaking guy again, that's what Byron Jones told the media that his reaction after seeing Xavier Howard pull down some of those picks late in the year. Yeah, that guy again, the first player with double digit INTs in a season since 2007. My favorite tape from the entire season for an individual's, you know, one guy's tape, game tape this season in one game. My favorite performance was Xavier Howard against the New York Jets. Literally had three or four, maybe even five chances at interceptions in that one. One of them he had his hands on and the receiver poked it away last second. One he was going to catch, but the receiver jumped on his back and got the OPI call. And then another one, X just couldn't quite squeeze it. And then there was the last one that he did pull down to kind of put that game on ice at the end. But the patience he has at all levels of the route is indicative of his confidence. And that's something I think that has really grown throughout the course of his career. You take a look at the over routes on his highlight reel, on his all 22 reel, on anybody's reel. It's such a tough route to cover. Typically you have outside leverage, which means that you are giving inside access to the receiver and you're protecting against the sideline on the perimeter and you give them that inside access to kind of run across the field. And then from there, it's a foot race and the corner's responsibility to win despite starting at that disadvantage. It's why time speeds are so, I think, valued for, you know, for a lot of people at the cornerback position, because if you can't run with these receivers, you can't play with them. And uh, obviously game day speed is more important than time speed, but you do look at that 40 yard dash, these guys. And if the pass rush doesn't get home, then boy, these routes become damn near impossible to cover. But Xavier just has this way of baiting quarterbacks by showing them a window and then taking it away where he goes from that outside hip to quickly undercutting the route. And in studying this, it's really a bit of brilliance because the quarterback thinks he has the benefit of the open sideline to work with all that room out in front. But really what X is doing is creating a small window where if the throw is perfect, it's probably going to be a big play. We'll give you that. But if it's underthrown at all, 
we're going to intercept it and take it away. If it's high, it could be tipped and wind up in some traffic behind the play, possibly picked off that way too. And if it's underthrown, like behind the receiver, then it also has a chance to get picked there as well. And both these guys, Jones and X, tackled so well on the perimeter this year. So I look at these two as the drivers of the scheme that Flow and Boyer deploy. And boy, it was fun to watch it all kind of come together in year one, especially when Byron got back from that groin injury that took him out of two and a half, basically three games for this Dolphins defense. But the hits on the secondary just keep coming at the safety position. Bobby McCain had a tremendous year last year. You ever wonder why the Dolphins defense was one of the stingiest in terms of allowing big plays? Well, I guess stingy in most areas, but for the sake of this argument, you know what we rarely saw this year? breakdowns, communication issues, and the consequential explosive play from the opposing offense. Coach Gerald Alexander talks all the time about how big plays happen through the secondary. And watching the way Bobby moved in accordance on the All-22 with the most threatening vertical options for the offense was just a stroke of brilliance all year, I thought. He was capping over routes as a robber. He was flipping and turning backside to get to those backside posts. So he would kind of roll to one side of the field to take away that option and diagnose the route and then recognize a backside post and get back to that part of the field and really play both sides of the field from that middle of the field safety position. He was running off the top of go routes, taking those options away. Just did so much in coverage that doesn't get into a box score that doesn't even show up on the broadcast because he's playing 20 yards off the football and you don't see him until you watch the All-22. And it's not just that as a middle of the field, center field defender playing 20 yards off the ball. He was nothing short of fantastic in that area. And when you think about all those different coverages and all the checks that occur, I mean, you get pre-snap motion, then you have to communicate the new responsibilities in a flash. I just never saw that palms up, like looking at each other, while the opposition cruises in for a touchdown, looking at each other, wondering what the hell happened, who had him. Remember just four or five years ago, how often that happened? It pretty much never happened this year. I think McCain's job back there is a big reason for that. You talk to Flores, Boyer, GA, anyone that's involved in that DB room, and they'll tell you how integral Bobby is as the captain and as the communicator. Speaking of underappreciated Dolphins, his running mate had himself one hell of a year in his own right, Eric Rowe. Let's just look at some of the box scores to tell the story. Eight games allowing two catches or less. Only two games all year allowing more than 40 receiving yards. Pass breakups, INTs, pressures on the quarterback. You might recall that 28-yard sack that Emmanuel Ogba had. You know who was first on the scene? Eric Rowe. He talked about doing better against Kelsey and Waller, the premier tight ends in the National Football League. But that's what you love about him. A fantastic season, and he's immediately thinking about the two games out of 16 where he thinks he can improve. And I thought he was improved across the board in his first full season at the new position. Run fitting, blitzing, man coverage, playing in zone. And those four guys that played the most reps in the secondary, it's such a benefit to have their skill set, their experience, their communication, their veteran presence on that defense. And I love the depth of this position too. Remember, this is a defense that utilizes a fair share of dime, quarter, and dollar defenses. That's six, seven, sometimes eight defensive backs on the field. 22.5% of the Dolphins' snaps this year came from dime personnel. That was the eighth highest in the National Football League. They're one of four teams with double-digit snaps in quarter. That's seven defensive backs. And they had the most snaps in dollar. That's eight defensive backs. It was only five snaps in that dollar package, but... Only four teams actually called eight DBs on the field a single time this year. Dolphins, five of them. Titans with four. Patriots, three. And Giants with three. That's Flores and Boyer, Mike Frabel, Bill Belichick, and Patrick Graham, the architects, the architects of those defenses. So, I mean, go figure who those guys are and where they come from. So that means you want to go into a game with 
at least eight able bodies in the defensive backfield, probably more like 10. And Nick Needham was a bit of a revelation in that slot last year, a position that he didn't really play in 2019. And that's what you've got to love here. The ability to find jobs for guys, despite what their historical resumes might suggest. Now, you might recall my takes on Needham from his locked on, my Locked On Dolphins days when I called him Sweet Feet because of how active he was and his ability to seamlessly transition in and out of breaks from that UTEP tape, UTEP All-22, baby. That's a hallmark of playing inside, that quick feet, the, the COD change of direction, and he had a run of some really impressive numbers against guys like Cooper Cup, Tyler Boyd, Keenan Allen, but I also think it's fair to point out how the Dolphins chose to defend these teams with the slot as their primary pass option. I mean, Keenan Allen's the go-to guy there in Los Angeles, and it kind of speaks to the structure and the performance of the safeties to help bracket and cap a lot of those routes inside. And Needham did a great job with what he was asked to do as well. And that trail position, funnel to help, they got the job done in that position. Needham is scheduled to be an exclusive rights-free agent along with fellow cornerback Jamal Perry. And for what it's worth, and a quick refresher, exclusive rights-free agency for those guys. What it means, they're players on expiring contracts who have three or fewer accrued seasons in the National Football League. They can only negotiate with their original team ahead of the new league year. And if they are not tendered a contract, they become unrestricted free agents. So the most next steps in this defensive backfield went to a rookie in Brandon Jones, and he's one of my picks for a big jump in year number two. The studious nature of his game and the instincts he plays with just really pop. He had that sack in the Jets game. He nearly jumped a couple of hookup routes, one in the Jacksonville game, and I want to say the other was the home Jets game where he just hovers, keys, and jumps. He's quick to the football, has really good time or uh, game speed, plays so quickly and so instinctively. And one thing I couldn't harp on enough for years was the necessity of three safeties in this defense. And we saw that this year, you know, the big nickel package. That's going to be five defensive backs, but instead of three corners and two safeties, you go three safeties and, and two cornerbacks and all the dime looks. I mean, 225 snaps last year with six defensive backs on the field. You need a lot of defensive backs. And all three of those safeties are former cornerbacks. Brandon Jones played a lot of slot at the University of Texas. Actually, was probably his best position there in college. So I look at these top seven snap takers and man, I am excited about getting all of them back. Number seven on that list is the other rookie, Noah Igbenogany. And I've been excited to get into his game here on the podcast. First, as I rewatch the games, both on the All-22 and the broadcast copy, I want to go back to something Tony Romo said during the season opener, the week one game against the New England Patriots. People don't realize he's going to be a great player. He's got size, he's physical, he moves well. That could be one of the steals of the draft right there. First rounder out of Auburn. And you hear him talk about those traits. I thought those traits were really on display when he got some playing time against the Bengals when Xavier was ejected from the game. And first off, he played 18 coverage reps against AJ Green. And while AJ has had a bunch of bad, you know, a bad run of injuries lately in his career, and the production has not been the same as it was in his all pro days, that's a savvy veteran receiver that knows how to get open. And yet he drew just one target against the rookie. You look around the league, let's go to PFF's advanced metrics. Rookie corners are famously targeted over and over again, but eight of the top 22 corners in terms of snaps per target this year were rookies, and that includes the first cornerback off the board, number three overall pick, Jeff Okuda, 
who was the third most frequently targeted cornerback in all of the NFL at a target every five snaps played this season. It reminds me of a story Channing Crowder told on the Fish Tank podcast a couple of years back when he was talking about that 2005 Dolphins defense that had Jason Taylor, Zach Thomas, Junior Seau, Sam Madison, Vonnie Holiday, Keith Trailer. Who do you think the opposing offensive coordinator is going to look at on that defense and target? the rookie third round pick in Crowder, right? The linebacker from the University of Florida. And that was the messaging to Crowder and a big reason why they say you're only as strong as your weakest link. Not to say that he was the weakest link, but when an OC looks at the lineup, you think he's going to attack a rookie or a future Hall of Famer? It takes just one busted assignment for a play to blow up. So back to Igbo's tape, you had a matchup with Stephon Diggs in that week two game, the NFL's leading receiver and Again, the week four big play against the Seahawks as well. A bit of trial by fire for the youngster. Again, the youngest player in the National Football League. And that's why I was so curious to see how he would bounce back when he got playing time later in the season, like for instance, against the Bengals. And you can see him playing aggressively, no lost confidence. You see the star athlete that he is. He can flip the hips, throw in the old baseball head whip when he changes directions and just flat out scoot with the recovery speed and the physicality at the top of the route as well. At camp, he was one of the more impressive guys out there. And I would expect him entering his age 21 season to take a big step this year as well. And rounding out that defensive back group, Clayton Fedulum was a special teams ace last year. He made several tackles on that unit. And then Nate Hawley also kind of in that mold down the stretch. He came over midseason from the CFL last year. Javaris Davis is also here on a futures contract. He was Igbo's counterpart there at Auburn with the impressive physical traits of his own. He signed that futures contract as are Brian Cole and Tino Ellis. We mentioned Nick Needham and Jamal Perry as exclusive rights free agents. Kayvon Frazier is an unrestricted free agent heading into this offseason. And that brings us to the free agent market for cornerbacks and safeties. And we'll pair these together since the position, especially in this Dolphins defense, can be somewhat fluid. And before we do that, just want to give you guys a quick reminder that these thoughts do not reflect the opinion of the team. They are the opinion of yours truly. Travis Wingfield here on the Drive Time Podcast. Let's go ahead and jump now into the pro football focus top 150 free agents list in the defensive secondary and it's top heavy with safeties in this class. Number six on their list is Justin Simmons from Denver. He had the game cha- uh, game clinching pick rather in the game against Miami last year. Four picks overall, 11 pass breakups and a 90.7 overall grade from Pro Football Focus. And 2020 was his first Pro Bowl season, but he was even better in 2019 He's had over 93 tackles each of the last three seasons, just an elite player in every regard. And number seven on their list is in that same category, Anthony Harris from the Vikings, another guy that was tagged last year just before free agency. So here are he and Simmons once again, and Harris like Simmons, he's like Simmons in that their range and ball skills and instincts on the back end are among his best traits. So if you want to get either of these guys in, you have a bit of conflict there with Bobby McCain, but you know what? Having safeties that can cover, there's just no amount that is enough in this league and on this defense in particular. And we talked about the importance of having three safeties. I mean, you can always shuffle the deck and give coverage, you know, take advantage of the coverage abilities of those guys like Bobby McCain, Eric Rowe, Brandon Jones. They've all played the slot. So it gives you flexibility. Like we talked about on the offensive line for how you attack this position group because of that flexibility, because guys can move around. It opens you up to more options in that area. And 
Boy, both Harris and Simmons are playmakers in this league, a league that is seeing playmakers become increasingly valuable year in and year out. Number 15 on that same frame of mind, safety Marcus Williams, PFF 90th percentile coverage grade and a top 10 completion array allowed, or is it bottom 10? Either way, he's he's among the 10 best safeties at forcing incompletions since he came into the league in 2017. And not to be a broken record, but his range has always been the calling card, even back to his time at the University of Utah. And for what it's worth, PFF predicts all three of these guys change teams this offseason, so we'll find out what happens here in just a couple of weeks. Number 16, our first cornerback on the list, William Jackson. And this dude is among the best press cover corners in the game, long, physical, and competitive as all get out. Number 18, another cornerback, Richard Sherman, the GOAT of cover three cornerbacks and really one of the best corners of the last decade. And he can still ball, man, even at this stage of his career with his studious nature and preparation habits puts him in good position more often than not. And another one, number 21, cornerback Desmond King. I remember his slide on draft day after, you know, a poor 40-yard dash time. Like, who cares? But the Chargers were the beneficiaries in the fifth round that year. They kick him inside. He becomes one of the game's best slot corners in the game before he was traded to the Titans this season. And two things come to mind with King. Length and ball skills. He was a takeaway machine at Iowa, and he's continued that into the pros early in his career with four picks in his first two years with a forced fumble in there as well, but he hasn't picked off a pass since 2018 and has just one forced fumble since then as well. 22, safety Marcus May. I mean, if you're looking for a middle of the field, deep type safety, this is the year for it. And even assuming if half these guys go back to their teams and half of them hit the open market, still a good chance to get one of those guys. Now, when the Jets traded Jamal Adams, May expanded his job description and acquitted himself rather well in that regard. I'd be surprised if the Jets let him walk, but this is a versatile, scheme-diverse player there with the Jets. Number 23, John Johnson, a safety. And goodness, this list is chock full of good players, man. He's He's been on top, a top-of-the-line cover safety for a number of years, piled up 22 passes defensed and five picks his first two seasons in the league. He was banged up in 2019, then came back with another big year last season, another deep safety type in this loaded class. Number 28 is our uh, cornerback, our first I guess our second true slot and cornerback Mike Hilton, a do-it-all slot corner. The Steelers kept him inside as he flourished in coverage, flashed the occasional effective blitz, and played the run very well. He could be a bargain given all the DBs on this list and the fact that there's probably strictly an inside guy here with Mike Hilton. Maybe you get him into bargain. We'll see if he hits the market and what his market is. Number 37, another cornerback, Shaquille Griffin from Seattle. He was kind of the glue that held that Seahawks secondary together, and things took a bit of a turn when he was hurt this season. In fact, in the game in Miami last year, Griffin pitched a shutout with no receptions allowed, and coming from that Pete Carroll scheme again, like Richard Sherman did once upon a time, he is adept at playing that cover three cornerback spot on the outside. Let's pick up the pace here a little bit. This list is long because there are so many good cornerbacks and safeties that are potentially going to hit the market this offseason. Troy Hill from the Rams, a slot cornerback, ball skills, showed off his penchant for keying offense's tendencies this year. I mean, the guy picked off a, a screen pass and took it to the house against the Seahawks. That very rarely happens. 
Number 43, Chidobi Awuje from Dallas. I think the best is yet to come in his career. He's got a good blend of physicality and athletic ability. Number 50 is a cornerback, another guy that specializes in the slot, Brian Poole of the Jets. He's been the best Jets cornerback for a couple of years, but again, mostly plays inside. Last year, he got a one-year $5 million deal with the Jets, which he outperformed. So we'll see what his market is this season. Number 51, again, these guys just keep checking in back to back to back on this list, is Xavier Woods, who's played cornerback and safety. He's played all over the defense for the Cowboys. And we're kind of approaching this territory where the price could become team friendly as the market kind of dictates itself as far as guys going off the first couple of days in free agency. And maybe some of these guys last for a few days or a few weeks. And you can sign them later and maybe get a more team friendly contract than you might expect. Let's go ahead and once again, accelerate the pace here. Again, this list is long. Quinton Dunbar, Ronald Darby, Jason Verrett, all three of those guys, veterans in this league, have played a lot of years, given a lot of good reps as well. Malik Hooker checks in at number 69. Nice. He is a very rangy safety there for the Colts, and he's battled injuries throughout his career, but he was one of the premier ball hawks in college coming into the NFL. Keanu Neal, kind of the opposite of that, a big physical enforcer down in the box. Patrick Peterson is a free agent this year, had one of the best careers among any cornerback of the last decade. Number 78, Nikel Roby Coleman, a slot corner extraordinaire who's played with the Rams and the Bills over the last several years. Number 82, Mackenzie Alexander. 92, Kwan Williams from the Niners. Number 93 is Gary and Conley, a former first round draft pick who has bounced around a little bit in his career. Number 94, Bashad Breeland. 95, Cameron Sutton. So you have four guys that are back to back to back to back on the PFF top free agents list. And then Jaquiski Tart, a safety from the Niners. Terrence Mitchell and AJ Boye round out the top 150 defensive backs on the PFF free agent list. So man, how about that list of players there? It's a good thing we did this defensive backs group in one podcast because they take up a lot of names, a lot of guys to cover here. And with that, let's go ahead and finish up with the draft class at these positions. And once again, working off the Draft Network's top prospects available, starting with the cornerback position exclusively here. Caleb Farley is our number five overall player out of Virginia Tech. And he and Patrick Sertan, who is number 16, and J.C. Horn, who's number 43, these three guys all have that competitive, feisty, confident swagger about them that they're going to challenge every single route. They're going to play press. We saw plenty of press coverage from both the Alabama and South Carolina cornerbacks in Sertan and Horn, and Caleb Farley can do everything as well out of Virginia Tech. So all three of those guys to me are high, high level prospects. 51, Eric Stokes out of Georgia. 55, Elijah Molden out of Washington. And then 59 out of Syracuse, Efete Melifonwu, the brother of Obi Melifonwu, who I had a major draft crush on a few years ago because because of elite, elite athletic traits. His little brother, Efetu, has some of the same traits at that defensive back position. Greg Newsom, Aaron Robinson, Paulson Adebo, a guy that went back to school for his senior season, is number 68. Trill Williams, number 70. Asante Samuel, number 76, out of Florida State. Now that's junior. His father, senior, was one of the best cover corners in ball hawks for a long time in the league. He's kind of in that same mold, but he is one of those tweeners, a guy that can play inside, outside, maybe a little bit of safety as well. Asante Samuel Jr. Pretty good class here at the cornerback position. We go over to the safety spot where there is, again, another glut of players that kind of fit into the same mold. Number 37 on their list of overall players is their number one safety with Javon Holland out of Oregon. He is rangy. He is long. He can really disrupt the passing game and coverage back there. And I think the best single high safety in this class, the best rangy middle of the field center fielder is Trayvon Morig out of TCU, the junior safety. 
who had a hell of a year last year at TCU. Number 66, Hamsad Nizraldine out of Florida State. Six foot three, 213 pounds. You might you might mistake him for some Derwin James because of the build, because of the, the responsibilities he has, but he's one of those guys that can match up on tight ends and backs and really kind of be an eraser and coverage that way. Maybe a sub-package guy early on who develops in his career. Number 69, Richie Grant from UCF had a great senior bowl week. Folks love his ability to cover and compete in one-on-one. Paris Ford out of Pittsburgh, one of my favorite safeties in this class. He can close from depth and make tackles and make plays down around the line of scrimmage. He also can cover a little bit as well. Andre Sis goes number 92 out of Syracuse. You want to talk about range on that back end. He checks those boxes. And then 197 on this list from Missouri, Tyree Gillespie. I was surprised to see him this low, but he's got some game tape where he really matches up with guys in coverage very well. Great closing speed and good instincts there on the back end. And then one more name on this list I want to point out is number 229 overall out of Pittsburgh, DeMar Hamlin. The Dolphins had him on their team at the Senior Bowl, and he played well in that game, had a pick in that game. So go check out the Draft Network. Go check out Pro Football Focus's top 150 free agents list. Going to be an absolutely crazy, crazy offseason with plenty of activity. It has already begun here as big-time names are on the move before the new league year even begins. And let's go ahead and finish up here on the podcast talking about the specialist we we don't want to leave them off the list. Blake Ferguson is back this year, his second year as a long snapper. And Jason Sanders, obviously, on the contract extension, the number one first team all pro kicker in the National Football League. And then also Rex Sunahara is on a futures contract. He is also a long snapper with punter Matt Hawk as an unrestricted free agent heading into this offseason. It'll be interesting to see what the Dolphins do at the punter position. So that's your defensive back preview, your special teams look there as well. And that wraps up our offseason preview. Now, next week on the podcast, I'm going to get John Congemi on here, and we're going to take a more comprehensive, holistic approach at how the Dolphins could attack this offseason. So check back for that next Tuesday. As for this edition of Drive Time, that's going to be my time. Happy 305 day to folks down in South Florida in the 305 area code. The Dolphins have plenty of events happening all over town. You can stop by different locations, different local restaurants and check those places out. So if you're listening to this early in the morning, got nothing going on today, get on social, check out our Twitter account and find out where the Dolphins are throughout the day here on 305 day. In the meantime, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the Dolphins at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank and the Audible Podcasts. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.